socialists. We're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people, power of technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Barris Age Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Klass. And on today's show, folks, it's Free Rider Friday for July. How you doing, Ed? Oh, Ron, I'm doing great. Excellent. Doing great. Well, look, yeah. man, I'm just going to dive right in. Go. Let's, let's put this in the stack of stupid things that California lawmakers want to impose on everybody. Uh, two supervisors from the city of San Francisco would mm-hmm. like to ban employee cafeterias. Yes, they're a danger, Ron. I totally agree. This is a really bad idea. So uh, it's time to get rid of employee cafeterias. I, I, uh, It's awful. And here's the thing, Ed. Twitter, Uber, and Square, some of the big companies downtown San Francisco, and there's, there's 51 other employee cafeterias around the city, according to these supervisors, who I'm not going to name because... They don't deserve any more publicity than they're getting from this. Um, but the the big beef is, hey, these private company cafeterias, the food is free. And you can't compete with free, according to Gwyneth Borden, the executive director of the Golden Gate Restaurant Association. Mm-hmm. Um, so the supervisors say this is another way to help support small businesses you know, um, and and here here's here's the pull quote, Ed, from the story. And this is from the San Francisco Chronicle. This is unbelievable. This is one of the supervisors co-sponsoring this new law. This is about a cultural shift. We don't want employees biking or driving into their office, staying there all day long, and going home. This is about getting people out of their office, interacting with the community, and adding to the vibrancy of the community. Okay, dad, uh, anything else I need to do this, this now it needs to be said that this ban would only apply to new office buildings in the city. It wouldn't apply retroactively. Although I think that's probably next. Um, right. They do have, there is a 7 million, um, square foot, um, plan underway for new office space called the Soma plan that uh, is all new construction of offices that this would um, apply to. And a similar effort, by the way, happened in Mountain View. It barred companies from providing employees with fully subsidized meals inside a new office development as well. Of course, Mountain View is where Google is. And the other thing here is, the idea here is to bolster not only the restaurant business, but other ground floor retail businesses as well because those are suffering so here we go ed san francisco's downtown has 41 blocks littered with needles and 96 blocks sullied with piles of feces there are apps so you can determine where these things are on the streets hotels have started printing maps of where the feces is in the street so you and your family can avoid it 
And now they want employees to walk out of their Twitter building and through this stuff to go and pay for lunch that they could get for free from their employer. This whole thing is insane. It's it's, uh, it's patently absurd, Ron. I mean, I, I, I it, it, like it doesn't even pass some basic economic sniff tests, right? Like, okay, who's probably providing these uh, so-called free lunches? It's probably some small company. And right? since when are I mean, liberals <laughs> against a free lunch? Well, yeah, <laughs> this is probably the first time in history, you know that mm-hmm. <laughs> This is. I thought the, they stood I mean, up for the workers. I, you know, I. It's candle. It's the candle stickers. Candlestick makers petition against the sun. I mean, that's really what it is. Uh, it, 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 it's worse than that. It, it's the nanny state on steroids. I, this whole thing is just social planning run amok. And, you know, the city, which used to be one of the greatest cities in the world, I think is completely deteriorated in the last 15 years. And it's because of it's because of eggheads like this that just think that they can control everything. The unattended consequences for this are just enormous. No, that's that's crazy. It's <laughs> <laughs> so. I mean, I, uh, I really, I'm, I, I'm really at a loss as what to to say, Ron, because it's just so absurd. I mean, it is. just it, I, it just makes no no sense. And and uh, I, what do they accomplish? I guess. Okay, yes. Yeah, so these people have to go outside and spend their money buying lunch from other places. I don't think it's going to change employment per se. I mean, it's just it might change who gets employed, but the small catering companies that are that are probably inside these these uh cafeterias right i mean I, I well that's one of the just... possible loopholes is is sourcing from a local food company but under this proposal that wouldn't matter some of these companies do source locally right from well from of course they places. do of course but they do yeah they're where are they and they're not shipping it in or flying it in so um but the thing is they 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 talked to one restaurant owner who says, you know, there's just rows of empty seats in his restaurant. And he said, and I knew about the cafeterias when I, you know, started my restaurant. And I was like, well, then you knew the risks. I mean, I'm sorry. Restaurants go out all the time. I just, it, this is just lunacy. Yeah. No, that's nuts. So, that is just all absolutely right. nuts. Enough. <laughs> Enough. Good. Let's move on. Uh, let me, let me give you a, a, a good story, Ron. Uh, okay, good. Yeah, no, this is, this is, I, I posted this on Facebook. There was some good conversation about it. But a, in Birmingham, a college student walked 20 miles to his first day of work because he did not want to be late. His car had broken down and he decided that it was important for him to, to make a good first impression. So he, he overnight, he, he walked 20 miles to make sure that he was on time for his job at this moving company. Right. Mm-hmm. Here's the really cool part. His business, the, the, the owner of the business was so impressed by this, he bought the guy a new car. Wow. Right? Wow. So here's one of those things that you just don't hear about. Like, okay, evil business owner. Yes. Right? Yep. With piles of money. <laughs> piles of money just swimming in it. Scrooge McDuck. Yep. Right? Making, making a poor guy walk to work because he doesn't have any means of transportation. Nope. He uh, act, this 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 guy surprised him. He gave him his, his a barely driven. It wasn't a brand new car, but it was a 2014 Ford Escape. And he said, "Yep, it's all yours. 
take this away. I'm really impressed and hopefully the start of a, a, a great friendship and relationship in a business. So kudos wow. to 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 both of these guys. First of all, the the guy for being so dedicated to 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 walk to his place of employment, and uh, and his. I just want to give give him some honor here. His name is Walter Carr. Ironically, uh, or I guess it's not <laughs> ironically, it's uh, coincidentally. And the name of the 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 CEO is Luke uh, Marklin. So, congratulations to these two people for for showing what what uh, what it's like to be human beings. So and, great job. And Luke, just a warning: you can buy this guy all the cars you want, but don't you dare try and provide him with a subsidized lunch. Oh no, that would be bad, Ron. That would be bad. <laughs> that would be bad. Oh, well, that's awesome, Ed. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I, I, Okay, I don't know why I'm coming out of the gate with all this stuff but that make me angry and raise my blood pressure. But here's another one. <laughs> the European Union has imposed a $4.3 billion fine in euros on Google. And this is, again, the same EU commissioner who I could care less how you pronounce this bureaucrat's name, this Marguerite Bestager. Um and you know this 4.3 billion dollar fine it because she's saying that you know google has a lock in effect because they load google play google chrome search onto their phones right the android platform which is a wide open platform it's made free it's enabled phone companies or or you know handset manufacturers to to make low end phones you can get a phone now for 50 euros or less yep. right and that's because android just gives its platform away and this idea that it's a lock-in effect i mean a hundred million people have downloaded firefox on their android phones what's mm -hmm. so hard about going to the app store and getting another you know browser if you don't like chrome um and and this is just gonna this is gonna harm the low end of the market and, and then another point, and this was made by a guy in fee, um, you know, he said, look, real competition doesn't take place so much between products and services like, you know, Coke versus Pepsi. Real competition takes place between business models. And the business model of Android is open and the business model of iOS and Apple is obviously closed, right? It's like a, more of like a walled garden. But isn't it up to the consumer to decide which of those business models they want to do business with? You know, do they want the experience of an Apple, you know, which goes through its process of okaying its apps and all of that? Or do they want the Android? Uh, that's up to the consumer, isn't it? This is just another thing that bugs me about the EU. Yeah, no, well, I guess it mir mirrors what, what they did to Microsoft, right, 10, yep. 15 years ago. Yeah. Right, Char you know, because the consumers were clearly harmed because Microsoft gave away... Internet Explorer. <laughs> well, um, yeah, yeah, more more absurdity. I, I, I it, it, again, just confounding as to what these people think the net result of this is going to be. I mean, that that's the question I would ask. Is like, what what is it? What does it accomplish exactly? Yeah, this the guy in fee said this is the Nirvana fallacy. You know, they're they're com comparing a messy, complex real world with some simple simplified idealized alternative, whether it's perfect competition or, you know, some other ridiculous uh, utopian model that they're looking at. And, uh, you know, it, 
it's bothered me a long time, you know, why I was for Brexit. People ask me, why, where, why were you for Brexit? Um, why, why don't you like the EU? I'll tell you why I don't like the EU. You know, there's an old joke about a kid going into a British library. And he asked the librarian for, you know, today's paper. I'm sorry. He asked the librarian for a copy of the British Constitution. And the librarian says, sorry, Sonny, we don't stock periodicals. And if, if the British had a constitution or if European nations had a constitution similar to ours, it would be like our Congress appointing another legislative body to enact these types of laws that would be unconstitutional on our system now put aside the regulatory state because i think right, they've right. done that and yeah, i think exactly. that's why that that's why we've transcended the constitution in mm -hmm. in that area for sure right we delegate all yeah. these uh, judicial powers and even lawmaking powers to the irs and a whole host of other uh, governmental agencies but just in total this is what's this is what they've done each sovereign nation's legislature has said, oh, okay, we'll have this other legislature, the supra-legislature that can enact all these laws and impose all these fines. And I just th that just offends me to the core because, again, it's unaccountable. Experts, Ron. It's all about the experts because the experts can r rule us better. They know. They know better. They just, they just simply know better. Pretty simple, if you ask me. No. Um, well, all right. Well, up against our first break, want to remind you the uh, the website is thesoulofenterprise.com. You can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Show notes on the, the website as well as our archive page where you can listen to all previous 201 shows. I think this is show 202, Ron, if I'm not mistaken. Pretty excited about that. That's right. Uh, but right now, a uh, word from our sponsor, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have, but have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You 
were tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. We are free riding on Free Rider Friday, and and Ron, I'm gonna gonna try to to, to keep this uh, the happy show because you're okay, clearly you're, you're clearly depressed, and we need to have an intervention perhaps. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about some good things. So the, the next thing I have up is the the great story behind uh, Lego, and how Lego in and this is also another article out of out of Fee by Brittany Hunter. How Lego has become the largest toy company in the world, which, you know, process that through that in this di- time of digital everything, yeah. it's still it's still Lego that rules the roost when it comes to to toys, and it's for a lot of different reasons. I mean, I, I not the least of which is that their 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 stuff has always been so much fun to do, and I think it appeals to people of all ages, but. What they they really I think have done a great job with, and this article points this out, is awesome storytelling, right? They 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 they've released not only do they also have things that are Star Wars related, and so they they embrace the great stories. In fact, their latest release is the castle of Harry Potter or Hogwarts. I'm sorry, the the mm-hmm. school, mm-hmm. right? And that's it's not out yet. I think it's coming out in October or November, just in time for the holiday season. And there's, I don't know, six or seven thousand pieces. On average, it takes longer to build that the Lego of Hogwarts than it does to read the book. (laughs) (laughs) I can believe that. All right. So pretty interesting. I have not read the Harry Potter things, so but books, but uh, I know a lot of people have and enjoyed them. But. Lego has their own stories. They have these this thing called Bionicles, and then uh, and I don't think I pronounced this right, but it's Ninjago, which is their classic bricks mixed together with a ninja theme. And they've just done such a good job at creating these stories out of it. My son has uh, a, a Lego set where whereby you uh, build the build the Lego anything you want in a Lego in like a two dimensional space. Take a picture of it on your phone. And it creates a three-dimensional image from that. Mm-hmm. Right? So just they've just done a really good job, even integrating themselves with with the digital realm. And you know, kudos to them. I just wanted to call out another great story of of, of Lego and 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 what they've been able to accomplish over the last number of years. So they're they're just they're just huge. They're bigger now than they ever were. And they you know that right next to the Apple Store in my mall is the Lego Store. And I just find that to be impressive at, at a time when Toys R Us and all of these other places are closing down with regularity. Yeah, no, and I remember reading several years ago uh, about the financial troubles that Lego was having, and I think they brought in a new CEO, and I think he's been responsible for something you know, like the movies and you know, mm-hmm. up like you say, upgrading them into the digital world. So, yeah, it's obviously worked because they they were on the ropes, I think, for a while, mm-hmm. several yep. years back. So. No, that's awesome. Um, all right, I got one here from The Economist. This will uh, appeal to our audience somewhat because this is about audit reform. It's called Shape Up, Not Break Up. Um, I don't know if you were following this, Ed, but there was a recent collapse of Carillion, which is a British contracting firm. Mm-hmm. And the members of Parliament <laughs> served up some real good bile 
against not only the auditor, KPMG, but the other three as well, Ernst & Young and Deloitte and PwC. And they, they actually, I think they formed a commission to study whether or not the four auditors sh should be broken up. And the economist is basically saying, well, that's probably going too far. It's probably too premature. You know, and they give the usual blather about how auditing is is really important to a society because of the cost of capital, and you've got to be able to trust the financial statements. Little do they know, like our uh, guest Baruch Love pointed out in his book, The End of Accounting, that only about 5% of the information that's used by investors <laughs> to mm -hmm. make investments have anything to do with historical financial statements. Right. But, but put that aside... Um, you know, the big four audit 98% of the companies listed in the S&P 500 and, and also the FTSE 350, the, the British stock market. And, you know, the EU now has issued auditor rotation laws. So I think after 10 years, uh, you have to go out to bid. And in 20 years, you have to switch auditors. Uh, now, that's not mandatory, I think, in the United States, but it is, I believe, in the EU, uh, probably in Britain for sure. And... Um, the average auditor, um, you know, retention in, in the United States for the Dow Jones industrial average is a cozy 66 years that <laughs> oh, a company is stuck with its auditors. And so they, they put out some, some reforms. They're basically saying, okay, shape up, don't break it up, right? Reform it. And some of their corrective, uh, to correct the incentive problem. And of course the big, the big problem here is the companies are paid by the companies that they're auditing, right? And so mm -hmm. despite all the independence rules and all this crap that the profession talks about, about independence, the fact of the matter is that you can't be paid to be independent. And that's the elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about when you talk about auditing reform. Sarbanes didn't touch this. Nobody likes to talk about this except economists. And some of the ideas to, to do this that the economists suggest is have regulators pick the auditors and I think that would just lead to cronyism, right? Because there'd be mm -hmm. all sorts of political favors and kickbacks and all. The other thing, of course, and we've talked about it before on the show, is mandatory insurance. So have the listed companies by financial statement insurance for accounting errors and irregularities. And then the insurers would hire the auditors to oversee. Mm -hmm. And my favorite reform, which I haven't seen anywhere except amongst think tank people talk about this, but I think it's the best one is having the stock market, uh, the listing stock market, pick the auditors and pay them. Mm -hmm. And they would do this. Sure. By, they would do this by assessing a tax for listed companies. They have the most to gain from having an exchange that's, you know, well audited and as financial statements you can trust. You talk about the cost of capital. Well, that's where it's representative. So let them pay for it. Let them select the auditors. And that would, it wouldn't completely solve all the problems. There is no solution to this, but it would be a lot better than the system that we have now. Um, and of course, the other thing is, the economist loves to talk about this, is lower the cap on non-audit fees. You know, right now, I guess in Britain, uh, an auditing firm is only allowed to earn about 70% of the audit in consulting. And if you look at the big four in total, they earn 47 billion in auditing, but they earn 87 billion in consulting and tax and that's not a great comparison you got to take tax out of there i think but it just and, and then they're also saying look the, the the sterile audit report 
needs to be more there needs to be more verbiage in there like like issues where the maybe the auditors disagreed with management or that there were challenges on they they want to see that you know we dan morris used to say this he said an audit opinion should read like a movie review there should be a little bit more subjectivity into it but but we're so paranoid of being sued so we have this standard boilerplate letter that goes out on every audit opinion and nobody that's why nobody reads it that's why it's only five to six percent of what investors use to make their decisions so yep. I just thought that was kind of interesting that the big four, at least across the pond, is is <laughs> is getting bashed by the members of parliament big time. Yep. Well, that, I, I think that your your assessment makes sense, Ron. I not knowing it as as well as you, obviously, I'm not, not being an accountant, but I do think that you're right. I think the best thing to do would be to make the the exchanges because it's in their best best interest to have the best companies. Uh, on their exchanges, and if they're the, they're the ones who ultimately pay the price, I suppose if uh, uh, something goes goes wrong to a particular company on their exchange, their exchange takes a hit. So, yep, absolutely. So, yep. All right, Ed, all right. What's next. So, like, uh, keeping with the good news, right? Keeping with the good news. Uh, there, this is from uh, a story I read in on on Apple News. I was scrolling through my phone, and it's by uh, uh, Gina Colada. Say K O L A T A, and this is a follow-up, really, to some of the things that we talked about with Mary Ruart when she was on the show, and that is there's a new Swift gene edit- editing method that is actually going to revoli- revolutionize uh, cancer treatments and infectious diseases, right? And once again, it, it uses the body's own cells that they then make replace that they uh, change beneficial replacements. And then put it back into the person that significantly re- I- I- inhibits the, um, the 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 disease, right? The disease mm-hmm. that's, that that uh, the person has, including cancers, infections like HIV, and any autoimmune condition like lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. This was published, uh, I guess, published in the journal Nature, and according to Dr. John Wery, W H E R R Y, of the Institute of Immunology at the University of Pennsylvania. This is a major advance, major advance, and they see that the first treatments for this uh, are going to be out in potentially even months and not years. And I think that that's just absolutely incredible that we have the advanced and the capability. Now, of course, the big question I have is how is this going to fly with the regulators, right? Is this going to be one of those things that they decide is is not a treatment but is actually a, a pharmaceutical Mm-hmm. In which case, in which case, then you've got to go through all of this testing. And how does even one go about doing testing when the therapy is really involved with with you that's customized to you? Right. Yep. Right. It, a great another great example of the technology running ahead of the regulation. Mm-hmm. Now, the, according there is a was somebody quoted in by the FDA who said our intent is to, is to ready you're gonna love this Ron our intent is to try to apply this as quickly as possible. <laughs> Jeez, yeah. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Glad they're trying. Glad they're trying. I think of what the FCC said back in the 40. Oh yeah, we'll get the licenses out. They didn't do it until like the 70s or something, you know. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. Well, there we go. Ron up against another break already. As always, 
free Rider Friday just goes by lickety split. But remind you to, to contact me or Ron. It's asktsoe at verisage.com. And of course, the website, thesoulofenterprise.com. And a quick reminder that we do have our pricing course now available on the Professional Pricing Society's website, but we have created a shortcut for you. So if you go to thesoulofenterprise.com slash PPS, that will take you directly to our pricing course. Love for you to give that a try and let us know what you think. But right now, a word from our sponsor. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Clouds come in all shapes and sizes, and the Abacus Private Cloud is the perfect fit. Abacus Cloud enables all the desktop apps you know and love while providing unparalleled security to your business. Cloud functionality gives you the flexibility to work where you want, when you want, and from any device you want. Don't waste countless hours managing IT. Take back your time. Learn more at abacusnext.com. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash U.S. forward slash S-O-E. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're here doing Free Rider Friday for the month of July. And Ed, I got one. This is out of The Guardian, and it's called How Tech's Richest Plan to Save Themselves After the Apocalypse. <laughs> and, and, and this does, this sounds pessimistic, but I'm, I actually think this is just really funny in, in a morbid sort of way. But this guy, Douglas, Douglas Rushkoff, he's a professor. He said, last year I got invited to a private resort resort to deliver a keynote that he assumed would be about a hundred or so investment bankers, you know, in, in tech. And wow. it's, it's the largest fee I've ever been paid for a talk. He says about half his annual professor salary. <laughs> so I imagine he was probably paid 150 or so, you know, thousand dollars to talk about the future quote unquote of technology. He said it turned out to be five super wealthy guys the, and, and all men these are the upper echelon of the hedge fund world. I mean, this is the pinnacle. These guys are the richest. Mm -hmm. And they started out 
asking him questions. So what do you think? Ethereum or Bitcoin? Is, is quantum computing a, a real thing? And then they asked him, which region of the world will be less affected by the coming climate crisis, New Zealand or Alaska? And then they wanted to know if Google was really building Ray Kurzweil's uh, home for his brain, right? Because uh, he's working there now. Uh, because they started talking to him about the event, capital T, capital E, the event. This is a euphemism for environmental collapse, social unrest, nuclear explosion, unstoppable virus, or a robot hack that takes everything down. And these guys wanted to know how to protect what they had. You know, if we have to hire armed guards to to protect our compound, you know, from the angry mobs, how are we going to pay them if money's worthless? Right. And and they they really think that the world is moving to we're, we're just going to transcend the human condition. Humans humans are nothing but an information processing object, right? Is some of the themes that Gilder talks a little bit about, you know, about the materialist fallacy in his new book, Life After Google. But um, he, this guy was just kind of blown away by this. He, he didn't know, he, he didn't know how to react to this. I mean, they were really serious. They, this wasn't a joke. They, they really wanted to know, um, you know, how are they going to survive the coming uh, cop, uh, apocalypse? And it, it just kind of blew my mind. I, how how do you think like this? I mean, these are billionaires, multi-billionaire, multi-multi-multi-billionaires. How how can you buy into all this, you know, coming climate change or, you know, how can we escape to Mars or what? I, I just, I, I, my mind can't process this. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I got two things in my stack that I think are relevant to that. Um, and, and I'm, um, I'm one, I, I think it's, I think it's just hubris. I mean, they they just when they get to a certain point, they finally just realize they they finally just think, okay, I've got it figured out, right? And and ever and everybody else does not. And there must be an exit an expert that I can consult, who's as expert in his or her dimension as I am in mine, right? Yeah. And they and, and they think that okay, well, if I if I if I'm an expert in in hedge funds and have achieved this this ability for success, there must be somebody who's figured out what it, some should happen. To, we should do in 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 the case of the event, right? Yeah. So then they seek these people out and they they buy into oh, well, it's the rule of experts. It's that, and they and they also see human beings as the problem. Right. And the te- and technology as a solution. I mean, it, you know, the, the, the human's not a feature. It's a, you know, they're the it's bug. A bug. It's a bug. Yep. And, and this guy closes the article by basically saying the underlying assumption here is that humans suck, you yeah. know? And, and we, I mean, this is like right out of sci-fi, Westworld. I mean, you know, Walking Dead, what, however you want to view it. I, I've got another explanation for you. And, you know, since this is called the soul of enterprise, uh, we don't we try not to get religious on the show. But I, I if you don't believe in God, this this is where you go. I'll just I'll yeah. just put that out there. Well, the ultimate expert. <laughs> <laughs> right. If, if you don't think there's anything else, this is where you go. 
I think some people do. I don't think that that's that, that that's an absolute either. But I, no, I, I, think, but, I think it's possible that it's that it, that it's a conclusion that that pe- that you can draw from that. I'll I'll, I'll buy into that. I, I bet you these five guys are atheists, hardcore. I'd be willing to bet. He doesn't say. He doesn't name them either, by the way. Right. No, no, no. I wouldn't imagine that he would. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just kind of a, it was just kind of fascinating to read. This guy was kind of just blown away by this more than anything. But, you know, (laughs) but at least he got a good honorarium. Yeah, no, that's good for him. Good for him. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm going to take this a slightly different direction than, although I I think tangentially related. And and that is, I, I was on vacation uh, right after our last Free Rider Friday run, and went up to Boston, did some sightseeing, uh, Boston uh, Tea Party ships, and and the USS Constitution, which is still an active vessel. I didn't, was not aware of that. That is still technically part of the Navy, the U.S. Navy. Um, we and, and we had a chance to, to to see lots of different things. And but we, one day it was raining, so we made our way over to the MIT Museum and Library. Mm-hmm. Right. And there was, you know, some, some fascinating exhibits there. W- one of them was on uh, people's signatures, and they had all kinds of different signatures from, you know, Karl Marx to the Beatles. It was just mm-hmm. wild, right? That was pretty cool. But the thing that, that we found was kind of tucked away in one corner, and it was this thing called the Moral Machine. And oh, yes. It, and it, it, and it it's something that you and I have talked an awful lot about. In fact, I think we've done an entire show on it. This the notion of trolleyology, right? Right. But this is this is uh, let's call this applied trolleyology, in that what this this uh, moral machine takes you through is thirteen different scenarios, in which you have to judge what should a autonomous vehicle do given certain circumstances. Right. Right. And then you walk your way through this and, you know, you have to choose the, you know, what you perceive to be the lesser of two evils. Do you kill two passengers or five pedestrians, right? Should, should the, should the, the, the car, should should the car be instructed to preserve the people inside the car because they own the car under self-preservation, even if there's only two people and it would kill five, right? Right. So all kinds of things like that. But what is fascinating about this uh, is that, number one, I think that this is research that that will probably be used at some point in autonomous vehicles being as, as conducted by MIT, right? But then the other thing that it takes you through is after you go through the scenarios is it, it tells you about yourself, like which, who is your most killed character? Because there's different characters in the books, different type of types of people. Mine was cats, by the way. So just... <laughs> <laughs> right we'll just, um, but there. <laughs> we'll just leave that there we'll just leave that there sorry to our cat lovers out there it's, and you, you can you can go and save the cats if you want but it also talked about uh whether you protected passengers as opposed to pedestri- pedestrians did you uphold the law versus not uphold the law and that's only one specific very narrow case and that is people crossing against the signal or not and right. I didn't think that that was necessarily just saying that you were upholding the law so much as people doing stupid things. If you're crossing against the signal, you're 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 taking a risk. You're being stupid. Yeah. Right. So I didn't I didn't necessarily see that as upholding the law, but that's how th- this interprets interprets that. Uh, whether or not there's any intervention, and I thought this was interesting because it reminded me of our conversation with with uh, Rabbi 
um, Lappin, in which he said that, first of all, he would not get into a driverless car. Right. Right. Because he 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 felt his religion wouldn't allow for that, but he said in in the area of trolleyology, he said that the the best thing to do is is often whatever whatever was to be, right? right. Don't do anything. Don't do anything. So in which case you that there are there are, are this would set, would find I guess a a, a strongly um, Jewish person who is following the Talmud would always just go straight and not swerve, no matter what. Right. Right. So it told you whether you had a, a gender preference, a species preference, an age preference, a fit, a, pre, a preference for fitness, fitness of people, or a social value, right? Um, and it kind of takes you through all of those things. And then you, if you want, you can share share results. But uh, we'll put a link up to it. But if, if those who are listening who want to just want to jump to it, it's moralmachine.mit.edu. And you can go through and take this test and find out a little bit about yourself as to, to how you compare to others as well. So it's kind of a cool thing. Yeah, it is. Um, did, did it talk about, it, it probably didn't use the ethical terms like you're, you know, deontologist or you're a utilitarian, but. No, talk, no, no, no. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It just did these other things. All right. That, that's still pretty cool though. And we'll also put a link up to our show. It was the show we did on ethics, Ed, where we talked about trolleyology and, and that great book would you kill the fat man right that that i just absolutely love yeah so oh, that's cool yep good stuff um all right well i don't know if i'm gonna get uh to all of this well let me just give you a short one since we're kind okay. of almost up against the break you know we talk a lot about the universal basic income right and what was it finland suspended theirs or or the experiment was over basically so right. they it stopped um, well, there's a couple of cities here in California, as you can imagine, uh, that are doing this. One is San Francisco and one is Oakland. But there's a new one now uh, in Stockton is going to be doing uh, in 2019. They're going to be running a universal basic income. They're going to provide 100 people, Stocktonians, they call them, <laughs> with a guaranteed income of $500 per month for 18 months. Unconditional. There's no work requirements, nothing. I, I, I think it was the same in Finland. I think Finland picked unemployed people, but there it was unconditional as well. And But here's the thing I do like about this one, Ed. It's 100% privately funded with a $1 million grant from the Economic Security Project, uh, which is co-funded by Chris Hughes, who also is one of the co-founders of Facebook. So, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's a big proponent of the UBI. There was even talk for a while, him running for president. How would you like to see that Zuckerberg up against Trump? That would be fun. Um, <laughs> but and, and he's a big proponent of UBI um, and probably others at Facebook, too. It's good to see them put their money where their mouth is. Oh, I agree. I, I love the fact that it's privately funded. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So pretty cool. So. Well, unbelievable, but we're up against another break. And folks, we'd like to remind you, if you want to contact me or Ed, send us emails. We know uh, you probably have figured out that we answer all of them. Um, you can send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. You can also see all of our full show notes as well as listen to the show and every show we've ever done going back four years at thesoulofenterprise.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. Sage. 
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. There is no blueprint for running the perfect firm. No way to know the challenges you'll face. But your journey does not have to be an odyssey. Experience what it is like for every part of your firm to be connected. Experience a practice management tool where everything is just a click away. Experience Office Tools. To learn more, visit officetools.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. We're free riding on Friday here on the Soul of Enterprise, and Ron, I know that you know this, but um, you know you still seem a little depressed to me. I mean, you're bringing up this this stuff, and it's it's not good for your psyche. So <laughs> okay, good. I just want I just want to I want to you know in, in, encourage you to you know want to go want to go on um, at least until October fifth, my friend. Oh, uh, right on. Man <laughs> in the High Castle season three dropping. I'm I'm telling you, Ed, I'm not going to be here on October fifth. I'm telling you, no, you're going to find totally a co-host. Gonna be here. No, you're going to be here because I know it's a Friday, but you, you're going to like watch it starting at midnight and it's I, 10 episodes. I'll you'll be, be done by one. Yeah, you'll be done by one. Okay. It'll, be, it'll be fine. <laughs> um, uh, I, they, they also also posted a, 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 prick, a one minute preview and, you know, they, they I know you haven't watched. They, they actually did a, a little trailer, a, a, a short scene, about a three minute scene that uh, they've uh, posted up. But they've also, I think this is great because I was really excited about this. There's a 25-minute summary of seasons one and two. So oh, Fantastic. Because I was actually thinking of going back and watching maybe at least like the last half of season two, you know, just to kind of catch up and be reminded of all the things going on. So uh, I yeah. can't wait for that. Might be might be worth it. Might be worth it. Anyway, all right. So that's 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 a quick one. But the other the other thing that I wanted to share with you, Ron, I think this is was good. I ha- was watching a, uh, I think it was a Reason.com video. You know, I just when I have my my morning breakfast, I sometimes just see what what's the the latest on some YouTube channels that I subscribe to, and it was a a, a, a quick short video that they had put out. And right after it, it popped up this other one, which you know because they feed you the next video that it related to it or what have you. Right. 
And um, I usually don't watch them. I usually stop them. But I said, okay, let me just give this a little, little, little look. And it, it's a TED Talk published on November 17, 2017, delivered in Germany, in Berlin, at TEDx Berlin, by Michael uh, Sellenberger. And it's about why he changed his mind on nuclear power. Now, he's, he's, not, he's got a German last name, but he speaks perfect English. So I, my guess is that he's American. He says he was brought up by hippies. <laughs> but this guy does an absolutely fantastic job of exp- of t- talking about his conversion process from being, you know, no, no nuke to now being n- nuclear power is really the only possible or the in the short term in the next 20 years years it's really the only thing that's going to get us a- away from a total reliance on fossil fuels. Right. And he just it, it's it's a fantastic argument because he goes through and brick by brick takes it apart. After all, he was a former believer, right? Yeah. Or he he was a former zealot against nuclear power. So he knows ex- exactly all of the arguments, where to press, and you know he even he was even addressing things that I didn't even think about that were arguments uh, against nuclear power. But he addresses them uh, point by point and just does a fantastic job of of dispelling so many myths including and I did not was not aware of this that the that the number of deaths due to chernobyl which which is probably the the worst possible nuclear disaster that could possibly have happened i don't i did not not realize it was happening when i was too young and i didn't didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it but they didn't even have a containment dome over the thing Right. right. It was just right. like a building. There was no containment yep. dome. And the whole thing completely melted down. And there were significant number of deaths in the first responders. Right. So, mm-hmm. yes, that was true. But the but the number of people that have died subsequently to it is r- an incredibly low. I mean, this is not to take it away from, the, from the, those families, because I'm sure every death is tragic to them. Right. But it I could not believe how few people died as a result of that incident. And oh, by the way, the same thing in Fukushima. We had there are no known reported deaths ar- about the Fukushima incident, except for the people who were were you know shutting shutting the plant down uh, and and were part of the first response team. And that's incredible to me. Right, right. I remember the UN didn't the UN somebody studied Chernobyl, you know, twenty years, whatever after the fact, and found all this, and you know, the media kind of ignored it, and but it's like, yeah, these things are these things are incredibly safe. Plus, we've made some advances. Other countries are still running. You know, look at France; they get some like eighty percent of their power from nuclear or something, and there's been no problems over there. So, oh, that's great. I'll, I look forward to watching that that guy's yeah, TED yeah. talk. Yeah, um, up as a link, so. So I hope I can do this in the four or so minutes we have, Ed. But the um, Economist had a great article, and I actually heard this guy on an NPR podcast. And the article is called "In Praise of Gentrification" from the Economist, June twenty third issue. And you know, gentrifier is just a dirty word now, right? Because oh, you get all these young white yuppies come in and they snuff out the local culture. And and this guy basically says that's an absolute urban myth. He said it's more neutral. You could more neutrally describe it as poor urban neighborhoods becoming wealthier. And economists who have studied this, urban economists who have studied it, they have failed to find a rise in displacement among poor people. In fact, they found that the poor people are more likely to stay put 
in a gentrified neighborhood. So they studied New York as one example in gentrified neighborhoods from 1990 to 2014, and the number of poor people barely moved. And this guy points out all the benefits of gentrification, reduced crime, better amenities, right? Businesses move in, grocery stores, all that kind of stuff, more investment, higher property values. It reduces white flight, right? Something that the, you know, the opponents say they, they're worried about. Um, well, this stops it from happening. Um, lawmakers still usually promote affordable housing. It boosts racial and economic integration. It dilutes the concentration of poverty. He cites one resident of Logan Circle, which is downtown Washington, D.C. This guy bought a house for 130 grand, sold it for $1.6 million after the neighborhood became gentrified. And he said those who argue against want to keep poor neighborhoods poor. And this is kind of what he made. Uh, this is the arguments he made on the NPR podcast I was listening to. And, of course, they had other panelists who were just anti-gentrification, you know, people in San Francisco and other activists, you know, community organizer types. And they were just wailing against the displaced people and all of this. And the guy says, this doesn't happen. He says, this is an absolute myth. This doesn't happen. The, 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 he says, what accounts for the antipathy towards gentrification are, are two things. One is the cost of housing. But he said, when you look at it, you know, in some cities, uh, you spend 32% of your pre-tax earnings on housing in 2001, and it's jumped up to 38% in 2015. The poor, by the way, spend 52% of their pre-tax on rent. Uh, he said, but this has more to do with supply restrictions. This happens in San Francisco and other places where they have, you know, severe building restrictions on new on new buildings. You can't build anything in San Francisco. It's, it's pretty hard to get permits for anything. And then he also points out about the uh, creation of jobs has outpaced additional housing in New York by a ratio of two to one in San Francisco, eight to one. And, and, and then he says the other problem is culture. You know, the, the yuppies alter the character or the neighborhood or whatever. And there's actually people that wear t-shirts in Detroit that says, that say, don't Brooklyn, my Detroit. And this guy said, well, you, you'd probably do really well with a little bit more Brooklyn in Detroit. <laughs> so this guy, and, and, and this shocked me coming from The Economist, because economists kind of left-leaning, especially when it comes to American policy. Um, but they came out in full force, or at least the uh, author of this article came out in full force for gentrification. So it's not a bad word. No, definitely not a bad. I, I I've always been been ambivalent against. I was like, well, what's? Oh, I I don't see the problem. Like, I just I don't, I don't even see what the problem was. I I guess I just wasn't that 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 caring or enough to pay attention that that there were people arguing even against it, right? I'm like, well, this is good for the neighborhood. I think I don't think that's a problem at all. So yeah, crazy try- crazy stuff. I'll try and put the link up to the uh, On Point is the podcast from NPR that deals with this issue and interviews this guy. But it was really was really thought provoking. Yeah, so. no, definitely, definitely. Well, what do we got coming up next week, Ron? We're already done with the show already. Can you believe I know, it? I can't it flies believe by. It. Next week we have a fellow Professional Pricing Society faculty member and author of pricing books, Stefan Liazu. And he will be with us, and I'm really looking forward to it because this guy has spent a lot of years in pricing, and he's a deep expert on it. I've, I've actually uh, co-authored a couple chapters and some books with him, and I'm really looking forward to that. Awesome. Well, I'll see you in 167 hours, Ron. Excellent. 
This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 1 p.m. In the meantime, check out our full show notes on today's show at thesoulofenterprise.com. Also, if you want to contact Ed or myself, you can send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.